0: We are now at the conclusion of our series, The Last Days of the Son of Man. We've been following Jesus in the last days of his earthly ministry. We started with the triumphal entry when the crowds welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem with palm branches and declared him to be the son of David. After this, we looked at the cleansing of the temple where Jesus drives out the money changers and stops all commerce from taking place. This was powerful symbolic action In this, Jesus quotes from the book of Isaiah and says that the temple should be a house of prayer for all nations. In other words, all people, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation ought to be able to come and worship His Father. Next, we looked at the anointing of Jesus at Bethany. Here, a woman takes perfume worth roughly a year's wages and pours it upon Jesus. Although she is immediately met with criticism, Jesus calls her act beautiful. She takes that which is most valuable in many of the eyes and gives it to the one who is actually most valuable. Lastly, we looked at the bread and the cup, the communion meal that Jesus gives his followers. Now, all of this leads up to the last event in the life of Jesus before he is handed over to be crucified. Today, we find ourselves in a garden, a garden of olive trees, the garden of Gethsemane. And this last event is one of the most darkest moments in all of scripture. We go from crowds of people celebrating Jesus as he enters into the city to Jesus finding himself alone, abandoned and overwhelmed with sorrow. He knows what awaits him in a few short moments. He knows what unspeakable horrors are just moments away. He knows the dark clouds on the horizon. What do you think you would do if you knew the worst possible thing that could happen was about to happen? What would you do? Who would you turn to? How would you compose yourself? For Jesus, He turns to something He has spent His life doing. He turns to someone He has spent His life loving. He turns to prayer towards His Father. Matthew 26, 36-38 reads, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. A number of things are taking place here. First, Jesus takes three disciples, Peter, James, and John, with him, and he tells them to watch over him. Jesus wants his disciples, his friends, to keep an eye out, to watch over him as he prays. It's late in the night, but what's interesting is that it was tradition to stay up late on Passover and share stories of God's redemption. So although on most nights the the disciples would be asleep at this point, this night sort of functioned as an ancient equivalent to a New Year's uh, Eve celebration. So they certainly would have stayed up in many of the years past. Jesus also gives them a window into his soul. Jesus says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. This is hard for us to understand. But Jesus, the Lord, says he is so filled with sorrow, it's as if the sorrow is unto death. This is so important for us to understand. Oftentimes we see God as some distant deity who cannot ever understand the pain experienced down here on earth. We shake our fist in defiance to a God who seems seems so impossibly unlike us. What this moment does is it locates a God who is so impossibly unlike us and locates Him in a place human beings have found themselves time and time again, in the dark night of the soul. Have you ever been there where the sorrow is so deep into your bones you believe you'll never be rid of it? Have you experienced the loss and pain of life here on earth so bad it feels as if the sorrow is unto death? It is here and precisely here that jesus can say i know exactly what that is like i know exactly what enduring that type of emotional pain looks like after all jesus is in gethsemane gethsemane means olive press it's a place of great crushing gethsemane was at a lower end of the mount of olives it's a location where olive oil was made. Olives were essential to life and survival for ancient people in this region. They also held religious and symbolic meaning as the anointing of kings was done with olive oil. All through the Bible, the importance of the olive tree is stressed. The olive by itself, however, fresh off a tree is not of much use. The olive has to be pickled or crushed. This crushing was done to remove the life of the olive. The olive had to have the oil removed. To do this, olives were picked off of trees and placed into a large circular basin, and a giant will like millstone was then pulled, usually by a donkey or some animal, over the olives again and again, crushing the oil out of the olive. It is here in the place olives are crushed that a different type of crushing begins." The word Christ is taken from the Hebrew word Mashiach, and Mashiach means the anointing one. Here in the garden of the olive press, Jesus, the anointed one, will be pressed. The Old Testament pointed mysteriously to the anointed one, the Messiah, as one who would be crushed for humanity's iniquities, as one who would be pierced for our transgressions the weight of sin would come crashing down upon his back like a millstone pressing the oil out of the life of the olive. So the stone of sin pressed upon him. Make no mistake, it is not just a cross that Jesus knows he will have to carry up Golgotha. The weight of the world, the millstone of sin is the burden he bears. Luke tells us at this point, As Jesus is overwhelmed with sorrow, that he cries tears of blood. Just like the olive is crushed and gives up its life, so the Son of Man gives his blood. It is one of the most shocking events in all of Scripture. The powerful and mighty King, the Anointed One, the Messiah, is seen crying tears of agony. Jesus knows what awaits. And it's filled him with dread, a sorrow unto death. At this point, there is a connection made. Some of us know this feeling, the feeling of life hitting so hard that although you are still breathing, it feels as if you were dead. Loss, death, and betrayal can make us shadows of the people we once were. Some of you know what it's like to be sorrowful to the point of death. And with all that hurt and pain, it's so easy to become bitter. Angry at life, angry at the world, and by that measure, angry with God. You are telling him that he ought to run things differently. The events that occurred in your life should not have happened if he is truly good, if he is truly in charge. That bitterness can overtake you. It's like uprooting a tree and placing it in a pot and never watering it. It is a slow death for any fruit in your life. The bitterness has a way of killing you A second time. But what does Jesus do with his sorrow? When his sorrow has overtaken him to the point of death, when he is alone in the garden and his disciples have fallen asleep, what does he do when the image of the olive press is there before him, haunting his soul? What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to his father. Matthew 26, 39 reads, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He knows his suffering will know no bounds. Nothing will be held back. Human evil in collaboration with demonic evil will break the body of the Son of Man. Jesus asked that the cup he is about to drink will be removed. Now, what is this cup? In the Old Testament, the cup is associated with judgment. Jeremiah 25, 15 through 16 states, Thus the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of the wine of wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. In Jeremiah, the cup is an image of God's wrath against the nations. God says that they have practiced wickedness and evil, and now my judgment will fall upon them. This is pictured as a cup of wine in which the nations are forced to drink. The wine of the wrath of God is a cup no one wants to drink. And so Jesus sees a similar cup before him, and he asks if there is any other way, any way to remove the cup, any way to spare him from having to drink of that. Father, if there is a way, may it be so. Remember, there is a story of a different son and a different father. The father Abraham is about to sacrifice his one and only son, and God intervenes and holds back the knife. God provides another way. A ram in the thicket God says to this son I will spare you because I've provided another way and maybe in this instance there might be another way maybe father can you remove this cup from me just as Isaac was spared please remove this cup from me the answer of course is no This has been the triune God's plan before the foundations of the world. So Jesus does at this point what every single human being before him has failed to do. The text tells us that the disciples fall asleep while they should be watching over Jesus. And Jesus continues in prayer with his father and says in Matthew 26, 42, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus surrenders completely to his father and says, not my will, but your will. Every single human up until this point has said to God, not your will, but mine. And now Jesus, before the olive press, before the great crushing, looks to his father, knowing the agony that awaits and says, not my will, but yours. And in this perfect act of submission and obedience, he will face death so that others might find life. In a few moments, the betrayal will occur. Jesus arises from prayer and his disciples have fallen asleep again. And he says in Matthew 26, 45 through 46, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus will now walk the road of death alone. Jesus is handed over to Rome, he's handed over to death, he's handed over to us, to humanity. His body will be crushed, his blood shed on our behalf. The suffering servant will give his life as a ransom for many. And what are we to make of all of this? In one sense, we should just pause and reflect all that God himself would do on our behalf. The greatest story ever told because it tells of the greatest hero ever told. And so what can we do but marvel at the love of God? This should lead us to a profound sense of gratitude. That God would do that for me. God would do that for you. Next, it should model for us what we ought to do when we find ourselves in life's gardens of Gethsemane when it's easy to become sorrowful, when that sorrow is easily turned to bitterness and resentment, when we want to shake our fist in defiance to God. We want to say, how could you? We, we look to Jesus who says, I know what will befall me. I know the suffering. I know the pain. Nevertheless, God, my Father, I love you and I trust you. Not my will, but your will. The Christian who suffers righteously will never look more like Jesus. And lastly, for those of you who are not suffering, who have not gone through this type of night, we should look to the example of Jesus and say, if you were obedient in those circumstances, surely I can be obedient in the small things in my day-to-day life. So Lord, we want to be a people who say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and as well in my life. As we conclude our series in the last days of the Son of Man, we are left in the garden. Before us is Good Friday and the cross, and after that we wait Easter and the resurrection of the Son of Man. But before that, let us not forget the lessons learned in the garden of Gethsemane. For those of us who are hurting, I pray you find comfort in the sufferings of Christ. For those who are not suffering, I pray pray that you find the example of Christ's obedience compelling in your day-to-day life. May it inspire obedience in you. And for all of us, I pray that we would stand in awe of the love of God revealed by the suffering servant who indeed was crushed for our iniquities.